This evening, not only are we starting a new chapter in the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans, but also we shall see a change in emphasis as we consider righteous living in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7. Chapter 5 looked at the blessings of being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, blessings such as having peace with God, being reconciled to God, joying in God, crossing over from sin and death in Adam to forgiveness and everlasting life in Christ, and receiving the grace of God, which is infinitely greater than all of our sins. As we shall see, in chapter 6, Paul considers the effects of being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having a righteousness that is by faith in him and living righteously as a new creature in Christ. In chapter 6, sin will continue to be a prime consideration. Having already considered being saved from our sins, By the abundant grace of God, we shall consider dying to sin and living to God. Before we start, note the order of things. The great theologian, the Apostle Paul, spent several chapters on the subject of being saved and justified by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, before starting to write about how to live as a Christian in chapter 6 which we'll be considering this evening. First of all, we shall read verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul starts the chapter with a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In that question, Paul is not anticipating an objection from an unbelieving Jew who considers the doctrine of grace to be nothing more than man's invention that serves as a license to sin. He's already dealt with that one in chapter 3. Rather, Paul is now addressing believing Christians who are saved by the grace of God. Following on from what he has just said in the previous chapter about the grace of God being more abundant than our sin, he is now going to consider how that grace is lived out in born-again lives. There are more than a few professing Christians who quite deliberately continue in sin because God's grace superabounds and is far greater than any sin that they continue to commit. Paul's answer is a resounding no to continuing in sin. Though not an accurate translation of the Greek, the King James Version has the words God forbid in verse 2. However, those words nevertheless convey something of just how much you, who are the recipients of the grace of God, that saves and keeps you, should not continue in sin. In those two words, God forbid, there is a very clear implication that God himself, by his grace, 
averts or prevents his elect from continuing in sin. It simply makes no sense whatsoever for someone who by the grace of God is dead to sin to habitually continue in sin. Note, dear Christian, that before God poured out his grace upon you and in your heart, you were in Adam, and you were indeed dead in sin. However, now by the grace of God, you are in Christ, and you are no longer dead in sin. Rather, you are dead to sin, which means that you are alive in Christ, even though the power of sin has not yet been entirely vanquished in your flesh. Well, have a look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death? In that verse, and in the following verses, Paul gives a full answer to the question in verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He will explain that the foundation of our acceptance before God is the same as it is for righteous living, and that foundation is nothing less than the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work of redemption. By saying, know ye not, Paul is about to say something that should already be known and clearly understood by Christians, and that is that water baptism is a participation and a union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death. Similarly, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, Paul said, For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. That's why it gets me that there are Christians who refuse to be baptised. Perhaps they see no need, but that's not the message I'm getting in verse 3 and in many other Bible verses. We'll read verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We shouldn't speak about the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ without ever talking about his resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus spoke about both. For example, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and, he, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. And then there's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, where Jesus tri triumphantly declared, I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. Also, as we see in these verses, Paul spoke about the death of Jesus and his resurrection. We ought all of us to appreciate that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ 
was no ordinary work of nature. It was a supernatural work of God. Here in verse 4, we're told that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Elsewhere, Jesus ascribed his resurrection from the dead to his own divine power. Either way, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead was a work of Almighty God. And not only were you baptised into his death, but also you were raised up by that same divine power to walk in newness of life in Christ. And along with the Apostle Paul, you have every right to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We'll read verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In this verse, although the King James Version doesn't do so, many other Bible versions speak of the believer's resurrection life as a certainty. What Paul is saying in verse 5 is that it is certain that if you are someone who has been buried with Christ by baptism into death, in other words, you have been planted together in the likeness of his death, then you most certainly will be conformed to Christ in a resurrected life. Just as Jesus did not remain dead and is alive forevermore, so are you, dear Christian, and be forever thankful to God for that glorious truth. Note that Paul says we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Is Paul speaking about a likeness in the future when departed souls will once again be united with glorified bodies? Or could it be that even though he says shall be, he is in fact talking about being in the likeness of his resurrection right now? To answer that one, you'll see that verse 5 starts with the word for which connects it to the previous verse in which Paul says, we also should walk in newness of life. Paul was speaking in the present tense there. Paul is clearly speaking about now with regards to the certainty of being in the likeness of the resurrection of Jesus. Likewise, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul spoke about being crucified with Christ and the life he now lives. Right now, by the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit working in you, you ought already, to some degree, be conformed to Christ in a born-again life lived for the glory of God. As a Christian, you should not be somewhere between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, believing in the cross work of Christ, but not entering into a new resurrection life? 
To summarise what has been considered so far, if, by the abundant grace of God, you have been planted into the likeness of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are you most certainly already conformed to him in holy living, but also there is the certainty that you will be raised to live with Jesus in heavenly glory, and a big amen to that. Having considered the Christian doctrine, we shall now consider your present experience. Does your experience match up with the doctrine? Christians tend to focus on when they were saved, but Paul's focus is on the life that you now live through faith in the risen Saviour. Let's have a look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In verse 6, Paul is speaking to you who believe in Jesus, not just as people who have a head knowledge of the things spoken about in this verse, but also as having the experience. Dear Christian, your experience ought to be that your old man is crucified with Christ. As for what your old man means, it cannot mean your sinful self, your old sinful self, as one of the other Bible version puts it. And I say that because my experience is such that my old sinful self most certainly has not been crucified. It has not been put to death. Your old man being crucified does not mean that you now live in sinless perfection. That's for sure. But what it does actually mean is that everything that you once had and were when Adam was your head has been put to death. The old man includes being under sin, without righteousness, an enemy of God, under condemnation. All those things are in the past. Consequently, verse 6 goes on to say that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Again, can you honestly say that since you have been crucified with Christ and raised up to newness of life in him, that Adam is no longer, and Adam is no longer your head, Jesus is now your head, that sin is destroyed in your body. Can you say that? That sin is destroyed in your body. Speaking for myself, the answer has to be no. And I know that, to, that I know that to be the case for the Apostle Paul as well. After all, in the very next chapter, in verse 18, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He even said that in the context of his identity now being in Christ and not in Adam. It's just as well that the Greek word that has been translated as destroyed in verse 6 actually has a rather broad meaning, including to deprive of force. Therefore, what you ought to know from your daily experience is that as a born-again Christian, 
Sin has been deprived of its power and you are no longer the slave of sin that you once were. What verse 6 most certainly is not doing is teaching sinless perfection in this lifetime. If it was, then why would Jesus teach his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses? And why would the Apostle John say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? Finally, in verse 7, it is written, For he that is dead is freed from sin. If you've understood what has been considered today, you'll know that verse 7 is not talking about people who are dead in the grave being free from their sin. For one thing, the word that has been translated freed is more usually translated justified. What that means is that if you are someone who is crucified with Christ, having believed that he carried your sins at the cross, then not only are you justified by faith in him, but also there is a continual and progressive work of justification or sanctification that is taking place within your heart and <clears throat> and in your born-again life, whereby you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are being conformed to the image of Christ as you prayerfully immerse yourself in the scriptures and grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and as you increase in holiness. That work of the Holy Spirit will only come to an end when finally you enter into the presence of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I can only presume that all of you Christians earnestly pray that you would increase in holiness and you do so as people whose desires, ambitions and thoughts have completely changed by the grace of God. You no longer live to fulfil the lusts of the flesh as you once did. Though you still sin, you now abhor sin and you hunger and thirst after righteousness in the life that you now live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. May that be, may that be the knowledge, the experience and the prayer of each one of you. Amen.